Kings killing kings. Just another level of frustration right now. And I look at it, honestly, I look at it. You know, when you hear, uh, you know, one of our black kings is killed um, and taken from his family and you don't have a child, you, you, you can you can sympathize with it, but it's a different level of sympathy. It's a different level when you actually are a father. And it just, it brought tears to my eyes thinking about how this man was ripped away from his family. You know, another child that's gonna have to go through life and navigate through this world without a father. You know, another life damaged. You know, this dude, this coward, doesn't even understand the, the generational level of damage and trauma that he's bestowed upon this family. You know what I'm saying? I'm just tired of the sucker shit and I just wanna know when is it gonna end? You know what I'm saying? Again, you know, Nip, I was a huge fan, obviously, of the music. You know, when we first started this show, we had that conversation. I came in, you know, asking y'all if you had just heard, you know, Victory Lap, because it actually just dropped not too far um, when we had started the show. And uh, just again, as a huge fan of him as a human, though, you know, um, what he was doing for our culture, the businesses that he was opening, the, the way that he was able to identify with gang culture but then spin it in a way where it was like now nah, we're not out here banging we're trying to be impactful uh and just reverse the narrative and build business and showing specifically people who are out there in the streets that they can do better that they can that they can change and then they can uplift their communities and that's what he was doing man and you know this fucking clown just took him from us uh you know i was speaking to joe buckner and he was talking about do do we value black lives, you know what I'm saying, ourselves, the way we kill people, like, and it just, you know, how do you expect people to love and to value and appreciate black lives if we don't start to love and appreciate black lives? I'm at a point right now where I'm voting for everyone, but I'm especially voting for you if you're black. I want to love you. I want to support you. I want to appreciate you. If I see a brother in the street, I'm showing them nothing but love. It's time that we uplift our culture, it's time that we continue to uplift our brothers. This work is not going to be easy work. It's going to take a lot of time, a lot of sacrifice, but I'm here for it. Word is born, man. This shit is wild. It broke my heart. Rest in peace, hustle. Everybody, what's good? Welcome back to yet another episode of Off the Strength, where we're giving you the inside look into all things wellness culture. I'm a trainer called Tony, and of course, with me, I got some gentlemen of extraordinary league. Guys, let's go around the table and introduce ourselves, please. You got KR Jones underscores in the building. You're a trainer, Corey, aka Daddy. We'll bring your daddy back. Make sure y'all don't forget. <laughs> and the actual dad is out on location. Props to my homie Troy. Shout out to Pops. Yeah, man. he's actually out there getting, it, out to getting some solid family time, man. So make sure you salute him. Make sure y'all checking him out on the gram. He's definitely got a whole lot of stuff to keep you up with. We're going to get into the normal extension of the show shortly, folks. But I have to, have to, have to make a short mention of the lead-in track that we came in with. R.I.P. 
to Nipsey Hussle. Guys, I know we talked about this in brief before the show started, but you have anything that you have to say uh, to the listeners out there about what Nipsey role, what kind of role Nipsey played in your, your personal lives? Man, uh, shout out to Nip, man. I think he was like a, a voice for a lot of different people, for entrepreneurship, for uh, like to be a, a stand-up guy in a sense in relationship-wise to be with Lauren London. I mean, his he was a voice for the streets, man. Uh, so definitely it, it's a sad day, you know what I mean, to move forward like that. But the marathon continues. That's everything he was preaching, like that victory lap. So that marathon has to continue. Like we got to keep spreading that truth and that message and keep it going, everything. Yo, one of one of the classic hip hop voices, like just a West Coast sound, like just as soon as you hear his voice come in, you know it's about to be lit. Like he came in and tore tracks up. Like just one studio album, but mixtapes galore. Yeah. I mean he was the first cat with the thousand dollar mixtape, the hundred dollar mixtape joint. It was a hundred dollars. Yeah, the hundred dollar mixtape joint. Like he's he's been moving for a long time and like a well respected rapper, well respected entrepreneur, just respected person, you know, human being. And especially with the documentary he has coming out and a lot of other things that he's involved with, it's it's a sad time to see a brother like him go. We need more men like that. Yeah, you know I was I mean? really, I, I think, Corey, that's the thing that I gravitated towards the most. I'm not going to sit here and act like I knew the whole catalog end-to-end. Victory Lap definitely was big last year um, and made a lot of noise for me, and I understood that. But more than anything else, the entrepreneurial spirit stood out above and beyond. The, the knowledge of self-worth, the drive to uplift the community actually going back and buying out your blocks that you used to be hustling on to let people know that hey we can own property here we can actually do this that is going to be something that is a gem that's missed in any upcoming community to see somebody who went from that talking about it to now i'm actually about that action opening up he had an incubator in his hood he had all different types of things to get people from point a to point b inside of entrepreneurialism business and going back to finding where you actually came from hats off to him his family rest in peace i don't know enough about what actually happened but you know didn't want to start on a somber note but we had to i feel like it's our due diligence if we talk as much as about hip-hop that we do to make that of note now we got uh one more thing inside the housekeeping that i wanted to get to before we jump into the show and that is uh i have to make a correction guys i'm sorry i was on the microphone i lied last time i spoke um Uh-oh. not not when we had the amazing episode with michelle but i made an announcement that said that we was going to do something on the fifth and guys uh we're not going to be able to do something on the fifth i'm sorry i let the listeners down but i am happy to announce that on the 12th off the strength is going to present a live show folks catalyst conversations a live podcast to spark action in the minds of tomorrow's movement leaders and we're going to be bringing that to you very shortly more details soon to come please keep in touch with what's going on on our social channels as we bring this live show now without further ado we have a very special guest in the building raj punjabi raj how you doing today I am doing lovely. It's really early, and there's no place I'd rather be at the crack of dawn oh than with you guys talking a lot of smack. A round of applause for Raj for Definitely. working the room like a true pro. I really like that. Raj, I'm so sorry to keep you waiting, but we had to get a lot off our chest to start this show off. I mean, I totally get it. Uh, it's been on my mind, too. I was really upset when I heard about Nipsey, and... Um, as a woman, I can't help but think about his work ethic. It keeps yeah. coming back to me. Um, his music is obviously phenomenal. Um, and as as a person in general, we saw that he just kept his head down and worked. Uh, and to me, that 
that's especially tragic that we lost this person for uh, his actual ethic and morals and how he felt about his life as a package, not just the music and not just fame. Yeah, it's a it's a a tragedy to see that I, 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 people try to lock you into the one narrative of the worst part of your life throughout whatever your walks and your journeys are, right? So people are going to automatically, I've seen some articles start to vilify the fact that he was affiliated in a couple of different spaces, right? But if that's the only context that you put somebody in, you never get to see the the breadth of the work that they are actually accomplishing. Um, I want I want to stay as far away from that as possible and, and really do keep celebrating the fact that he was doing so much more outside of just what the one thing that everybody wanted to lock him in on. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely understand that. But, um, Raj, we're here to talk about you today. Oh, man. We're going to get into understanding what it is to be you and under, and break that down really quick. And we like to do that through the narrative of hip-hop, mm-hmm. as you understand. She mm-hmm. said she was a long-time listener, folks. She's She's been a big fan, mm-hmm. big-time supporter. <laughs> yeah. So, Raj, we're going to take it back a little bit, okay? Mm-hmm. Now... I'm going to ask you a question. Where were you when you fell in love with wellness? And oh, my gosh. Also, tell the listeners who you are and where you're coming from Listen, as you get into that if space. If we were doing a brown sugar thing, I would have really, yeah. like, whew, I would have watched the movie last night again just to, <laughs> to get in the zone. Um, that's a great question. And I should give you guys a little background. I started my career over a decade ago at Vibe Magazine, uh, where I was an intern. So I come from hip-hop journalism. And to me... If you're going to ask me when I fell in love with wellness, it was well when I fell in love with um, hip hop, race, body image, and just thinking about how we treat ourselves as people of color. Um, and I can't think of a specific moment, but I think to me, hip hop and race and social justice, all of those things are very naturally intertwined with health, mm. right? Um, the origins of hip hop. Uh, especially just thinking about how storytelling plays a part in how we so- survive and how our identities are formed. So I think that that to me feels it feels very a natural uh, kind of transition. And now that I'm writing and editing a lot about wellness and health uh, and race, I, I think about self-preservation and how we stay not just it's not just about survival anymore. It's about happiness. How where do we find our joy? And that's health to me. I'm uh, sorry, I was just taken back by that. Go ahead, Kyle. No, that's definitely dope. I mean, th- the the correlation, intersectionality, whatever you want to call it, between all of those things uh, really makes a difference. Um, just music, like the messages you're given or like that happiness that they rap or speak about, like it all really comes together, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, just thinking about my favorite artists in general, like for example, Kendrick Lamar is my, I would say right now, my number one. Um, Jay-Z is my number one. I have his lyrics tattooed all over my body. Like it's, it's, but Jay-Z and Kendrick Lamar to me embody this storytelling that is about health, right? Like you have this concept of pushing a product when you're thinking as far back as Jay-Z's reasonable doubt, um, what you need in order to build the life that you want and how sometimes the world is going to put up these barriers from from what you want and getting the health and the lifestyle and the happiness you want, it's on you. You have to do whatever you need to do to get it. And then when it comes to Kendrick Lamar, it's this very evolved message. It's as if that message um, kind of grew throughout the years and it became about telling the truth, um, even though people sometimes don't don't want to hear it. And then um, unapologetically going after what you want without having to sell drugs, you know? 
or without having to think about just survival. Yeah. Are you familiar with the the proverb Sankofa? Or have you heard of that in any in any way, shape, or context? Yes. Where you take from the past to inform where you go in the future. Yes. I feel like that is a good way to tie together that analogy of what a Jay-Z to a Kendrick to a whoever is coming forward in that storytelling mindset. Yeah. They're all griots in some way, shape, mm-hmm. or form, those mm-hmm. classic kind of storytellers. And I think that they are the ones who carry on that tradition in what all the complexities of race uh, navigating through uh, strife, perseverance, and then thriving in that next space to hopefully inspire the next generation. So I definitely love and admire that. But I'm not going to brush over the fact that you just told me that you have some Jay-Z tattoos <laughs> on you. Um, I'm definitely going to have to understand what that means and where where that came from because the Brooklyn bias is super heavy on the show. I don't know if you could tell. Oh, man. I put Brooklyn on my chest for a reason. <laughs> we yeah. need to understand that. Um, reasonable death. Yeah, exactly. See, there we go. Everybody over here. Brooklyn joint right Everybody's here. Everybody's you know Brooklyn I mean? up. We got to make yeah. sure. That the Bro- I, I'm in good company. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So we got to understand. native born. We're adopted. You know what I mean? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm native. I'm <laughs> okay. still fighting to stay in there. I'm not leaving. I'm struggling. I support you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell me first of all i love the the references to reasonable doubt so i'm already a fan i'm geeking out what did what does the the lyrics that you have mean to you and are there anything that you feel that you could uh, share with us right here like as to why that manifested or or what brought you to, into that space yes yes I, I, it's my favorite thing to talk about so i'm so speaking of joy right now it's just like rainbow squirting out of me um so i'm my right arm I have can't knock the hustle and it's in my own handwriting it's like very little and fine line and um that one I got last year and I mean I can tie it into so many health related things but to me at that time when I got it I was feeling like I was in a particular phase of my life where I was growing in my career and it was growing there were growing pains um as as in all things and I was feeling myself really reach for new levels that I thought maybe might not ever be accessible to me. And that kind of thing is scary, right? Like fear doesn't just exist when you're afraid of failing or afraid of um, falling. It's fear of greatness, too. I think that's the real fear. Yeah, God, that we're we're capable of something amazing. Holy shit. Like that's going to add more responsibility to my life. It's going to take it's going to be difficult just when you think about the potential of greatness especially when you've had some odds stacked against you so i had to you know i had to put jay-z's can knock the hustle on my arm because i was thinking about how regardless of what happens and what level of greatness i may or may not achieve in my own definition of greatness that if i work really hard for it um can no one say anything to me like my hustle is something that nobody can touch It's one thing that we can control. And I think that this plays into wellness for me because I'm very aware uh, at this time in my life, being surrounded by people I love who are going through different things that we cannot control our health, right? We can control how much we work for it, how much we work out, um, how much weight we can lift, all of those things. But that's just a scratch on what may or may not be. So at the end of the day, for me, it's like you can't knock how hard I'm trying. Mm. It don't matter where I am. You cannot knock like my my everyday hustle. Yeah. That's what's up. Mm-hmm. Guys, I how mean, do you feel about that? Go ahead. Go ahead, Corey. You got it, brother. I feel like there's more though. How many that's not the only set of okay. lyrics. So I have I don't have I have some other tattoos that that are connected to Jay Z, but mm. those are the only exact lyrics. Oh, but okay. I have um 
I have I have one uh, on my on the back of my neck that says Makdub, and it's a word from the book The Alchemist. Oh yeah, have you guys read The Alchemist? Most yeah, most definitely. Oh, yes. we're about to go way deep. Oh right now. man, um, <laughs> that Jay Z has some lyrics in the again the early part of his career, which is I am you know really favorable to the early part of his career. Um, where he talks about this concept of your uh, destiny being written. Yep. Um, and that, like, we can do things, again, to try and shift that, but we have to try to take the stress off of creating this life plan that is written in stone because it might already be written for us. And I'm not a religious or spiritual person, but I feel like when you can access uh, spirituality through a tattoo or a lyric or a book, I mean, why fight that? Yeah. That shit is so good for you. No, I just don't. There's a level of permanence that comes with tattooing something on you. And um, I think most of us have. Well, Tone, you have tattoos? I am absent of tattoos. Yeah, Tone doesn't friend. have tattoos, but yeah. our tattoos, as Kyle and I have been speaking of, have like very specific meanings. And I think I always I always like to ask the, the tattoo questions because you get like when someone decides to put ink on them and, and attach that permanent aspect to whatever they were feeling at the time or whatever experience they had. It's always an interesting story. And what's really interesting to me is the people who are just like, nah, I just put Calvin and Hobbs on my arm because I thought it was cool. Like that, that interests me too. I'm like, really? Like that's where were you at? Like what happened that day where you were like, yo, I want Winnie the Pooh on my butt cheek. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always interesting to hear like when you do that. But when you talk about tying it to like a, a third thing, like you put the art on and that attached to another book that likened that that spoke to a lyric that you heard. Like that's that's ill. And that's a very very connected and convoluted way of thinking, but it explains a lot about you. Y'all, can we talk about butt cheek tattoos when we're off air? No, we can talk right we now. We can talk about we it on air. About, we are all on air. This, this is, is happening. Here. I yes, did not up. see Let's that going that way. I didn't see that Let's going that way either. Cheeks. I definitely was about to ask you about Don Miguel Ruiz. <laughs> nope, we're going to go booty uh, butt cheeks right now. I definitely want to talk that, but since you brought it up, oh I feel God. like we have to get to it. Yeah. <laughs> what's the math on that? What's the science? Sorry, mom and dad. Really, uh, but they're still proud of me, so it doesn't matter. They're good. Uh, when I was nearly 17 years old, this is my first tattoo, I thought I wanted to go to this particular school to do this particular thing. Um, and that wasn't my life's plan, really. I had no skill in this arena. I just wanted to do it to be glamorous. I wanted to be a fashion designer. Um, I don't even know what that meant. I can't even draw. And I applied to, <laughs> to FIT and, of course, got rejected because... Like, you should see my shit. It was terrible. Like, oh, God. I'm a writer, God. Oh, So it was really bad. And they rejected me, and I was feeling some type of way about, like, real... That was my first real-life rejection outside of relationship stuff. And I was like, what world? How is this happening? (laughs) Um, And then I got a tiny set of lips on my right butt cheek. Like, kiss my ass world. That's dope. It meant something. Oh, my God. Had to let the world world know. Real talk, tattoos last forever. Did you guys know that? There is a level of permanence attached to it. Just just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, tying it back, I guess, to Kendrick Lamar, like, on my arm, I got GKMC, which was Good Kid, Mad City. Mm-hmm. And, like, only real hip-hop people know what it is. I'm like, what are those letters? Is that your blood? Like, nah, fam, it's an album, right? Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get Kendrick Lamar face on me or nothing like that. But, like... <laughs> that would be a lot. That was... Exactly. Like, this was my, you know... uh my Illmatic, I said that before, like Kendrick mm. Lamar was was my artist. Um, taking it back to Jay-Z, though, um, y'all know me and my age and where I've been. 
But uh, here we go. The first, the first unedited CD that I ever had in my life was the Blueprint, right? And okay. I got it at a, a a birthday party as like a consolation prize, winning something or whatever. So I would go home and I would just play that as loud and as low as I can possibly, because my mother would have <laughs> definitely came in like, "Nah, cut that shit off." So. I feel like that was my intro to no word for word. Like that was when the takeover came out. He that was on there. You got um what what else is on there? H to the Izzo, maybe. Uh but it was still uh a foundation to letting you know what was coming next, right? It wasn't reasonable doubt. I went back and listened to that and got mm-hmm. all those messages. But the blueprint I feel like is what set up the the business, so to speak, like that's when Jay Z took his business to the next level because he came with Kanye and Kanye was producing, and you got Heart of the City and all of this other stuff on there. So now you have Kanye meeting Jay Z and then that business building. Right that's when Jay Z first started expanding and becoming exactly a Rockefeller was opening yeah, up and it no. was going to another level. So the blueprint to me was always one of my favorites because it, it's story arc where he went from there. Cause then you had the blueprint too, which was slept on the three came out, but the first one was always the best one. Yeah. That's such an important album. And when, when you talk about, um, kind of singing along or rapping along with the lyrics, it makes me think about the concept of self-care, which I really hate that word because it's become really trite. Um, (laughs) At Vice, where I I work, we talk a lot about how we don't want to use that word earnestly because it kind of implies privilege and like face masks and massages and things like that. Yeah, it's doing the most, right? So for me, my personal uh, recommendation for self-care is singing along or rapping along with lyrics that you know. I mean, think about, it's like ancient chanting, right? It like, is. Think about how you feel when you know a song, especially if it's something empowering, mm-hmm. and you just naturally, you're not even realizing, but you're just, you're kind of vibing, you're just, you know the words and you're singing along with it, and it becomes something, something kind of um, like a chant for you and empowers you. Uh, that is, I, I love doing that with Tupac's "Hit Him Up" when I'm mad. Like whoever is familiar with that song, Everyone. I don't even want. Like I don't even <laughs> want to start the first line. First off, yeah, it is the most volatile, angry, and to me, when I when I can rap along with that, and I know the words so well because when I was when it came out, I was like an angry adolescent. Um, I'm always empowered. Always. Sometimes you gotta just cuss. Like yeah, yeah. you gotta do it to Mark. make sure you get. Emotion. You have to express the whole range of emotion. It's not just about being happy. It's not just about being mad. It's not just about being sad. You should have that uh, ability to have a gradient inside there. And I think music is a really great way to transition in between those spaces. And Mm -hmm. happy to hear you say all of this. Um, I am ecstatic about, again, the Paulo Coelho reference in the Mach 2. Because I'm going to come back to that. Please. Because there is a, a magic in the alchemy. And gentlemen, if you haven't read The Alchemist, I'm going to recommend that you bookmark this right now and go out and pick up Paulo Coelho's The Alchemist. Now, you speak of Maktoub. Mm-hmm. Maktoub was, it is written, or it was written, mm-hmm. something in that in that space. I, mm-hmm. I can't tell you that that's a natural dialect for me. Mm-hmm. Inside of that, you talked a little bit about where your origin story was, how you came about. Okay, can you tell me a story, Raj, about what the moment of strife was that lets you have to think a little bit about what your path was ultimately going to be mm. and how you are presently making your own alchemy happen today. Because I want to get the full story art. We brushed over a few different things, but I want to give it the full breath yeah. to understand how you got to be where you are today. Wow, that's a really deep question. That's what I try to do. That's what Tony does. Tony gets you, <laughs> he gets you in you. 
Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm gonna try to um, articulate articulated as well as I can because it's really emotional for me I think when we think about our work this, this is like something we birth right it's yeah. it's, it's challenging to uh, to encapsulate in a few sentences but um, I wrote about hip hop for a long time exclusively and then it transitioned into writing about all music mostly black music um, and you know world music a lot of uh, jazz and um some pop and things like that and that naturally from music turned into talking about race and social justice because you can't really have one without talking about the other and as I saw myself transition from those topics to health and wellness I kind of fought it like I would have some editors ask me to write some things on health and wellness and race and things like that and I was like I'm a music writer I can't do this like this is really weird and I was reading up a lot and trying to get more knowledgeable and it just the thing is it just naturally started spewing out of me and I found and I'd say this to my mentees and my I teach at City College journalism and I tell the students you cannot stop what the universe wants you to do. And I don't care what your religion is or your spirituality or whatever. Um, You can try and build a dam around it and be like, no, I am this one thing. And especially as people of color, we are trained to believe that we are one thing. And that is a hot lie. Mm. We are not in a box. This is what, you know, people always want us to think. And it's it's not that. We can do anything that we uh, put our minds to and, and what, I think the universe kind of pushes us toward, and that's like a big theme in the alchemist, right? Inspiring. Yes, the universe is conspiring to help you. So I started to see that um, I was kind of carving this little niche for myself, and I stopped fighting it because I was like, Raj, this is really important to you. Talking about our people's health is really important. We don't have a lot of people of color doing it, and I really wanted to kind of um, pull these voices out who were blogging or like tweeting or whatever it is um, and have them join me in this space to talk about these really important things. And, you know, there are some pieces that incorporate both. Like we talk about um, like Jada Kiss and his juice bars. And like, I feel like there's a lot of intersection between music and health. And even when there isn't, there's a certain cadence to writing about uh, health and wellness that reminds me of hip hop itself. Um, And because there's, there's, an immense joy when we talk about triumphs in our health and then this dark, dark pain when we talk about what our people are going through and how we're going to make it stop mm. or ease ease the pain, you know. Uh, it all has happened very naturally for me. And I still, I write about all things, but the most important thing in my life, and I have to say it out loud, is our health. It's everything. It's how we're going to continue to make hip hop and music and joy and writing. It's there's to me, it's it's my world right now. Yeah. And I think in that maturation of that story, um, the reason why it feels so natural is because if you go back to the understanding of kind of like how you alluded to before the storytelling um, lineage that happens inside of music, movement culture was always a part of that as well. You know, people weren't singing without dancing, Yeah. you know, and dancing is an expression of the physical uh, culture. Right. And yeah. I, I've said this before that I feel like we are all artists of that movement culture. Um, so to have one without the other would be doing the other a disservice in some way, shape or form. Um, so I, I am of the belief that they were always going to be tethered going forward. So I love to hear the fact that this is something that you are investigating in your journalism and in where you do your self-reporting now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I see in my little cheat sheet that you're repping both New York and New Orleans. Can mm-hmm. you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, that's that always makes me smile, even when I just hear the city of New Orleans. Okay. Um, I was born and raised around here, and I uh, began dating someone in New Orleans, I want to say like eight years ago. Mm-hmm. So we were. I was kind of going back and forth, and then I ended up moving there for a few years and fell deeply, profoundly in love with that city. Um, I began teaching at colleges there, and I wrote for some publications and all of that stuff. I built a community, um, and I still have family and friends over there. And I came back um, for some career opportunities that were not making themselves available in New Orleans, because that place is, like, magical, but uh, it's not the kind of it doesn't provide the kind of opportunities in journalism that you can get obviously in New York and LA and places like that. Mm-hmm. So I came back but I have ties to New Orleans that are I'm New Orleans that I'm they're they're hard to describe but that's my soul city. I always say that New York is my brain and New Orleans is my heart and soul. It's the beignets, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> it caught you off guard. I wrote a piece about how I gained 11 pounds within like the first two months that I moved there. And every, pe- people in the comments were like, well, if you didn't gain 11 pounds, you're doing it wrong. Like, <laughs> right. what is your life about? You're supposed to get that po' boy going. Mm-hmm. Like, how could you not be a part of that? Yeah. When, when we first met, I read um, some of your writings, like looking your stuff up. And you write with a hip-hop cadence. Like, I'm sure you mm. figured that out by now. But you write in bars. Like mm. you're, you're the way your sentences come out and the timing of everything. And then I can you can see the setup writing for your like punchline. You can see how you're building that up when do you write? Do you write to music? Oh, my gosh. That's first of all, thank you so much for noticing that. I think that's something that naturally comes out of me and I've noticed it, too. And uh, it really is keeps me alive. So thank you for noticing that um, I write to wordless music. Um, I, I used to try to, I, I love the concept of listening to hip hop, especially in writing, but it happens one after the other really often. Like I'll be listening to like a Kendrick Lamar verse or whatever. And I'm like, oh my God, I just had an idea. And it's really about ideas more than cadence that I, that I, I'm thinking about. But, uh, my partner is a jazz musician and I listen to some of his stuff. I listen to some things that he recommends, but just jazz. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, jazz is where we made hip hop from. It's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Jazz yeah. and reggae. Like, the birth. It's, yep. And to me that the chaos in jazz, I mean, I'm sorry, jazz musicians, like that shit sounds like chaos to me, but like the most beautiful chaos. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That, that big crescendo get... of all the instruments just did it. It's like a fight. Energy is there's a fight, there's energy. And I feel like that's writing too. For me, it's a battle, right? Like all these ideas in your head. I'm sure y'all feel this way about the work that you do, that there are so many ideas coming at you. You're like, oh my God, how am I going to spit this out in a way that makes sense? Yeah. Like when I was a studio writer, I used to like wait to hear the exact instructions because I was a ghostwriter. So I just got instructions. I didn't like write for myself. I got instructions and they were like, all right, here's the, here's the, the idea. Here's the music. And I waited. I didn't hear anything else. And I would just sit until the music played and have try to empty myself and then write over it. Mm. And that's what I thought of when I started reading some of the things you wrote. It mm. reminded me of like how I would write in the studio. So I was like, she's got to be writing this over music. Oh my gosh. Like, it's got to be. You. It's too like, you know what I mean? It's too yeah. lined up. I mean, yeah. I want to know from you guys what what you're listening to that makes you want to do work. I mean, oh. aside from the creativity, like I want to know what makes you spit work out, like what makes you do work. For me, if I really have to get something going, 
I love Supreme 100%. Oh my God. Are you kidding? No, that's To me, that's, that's like, like the ultimate and stop working music. That's, I put that on and it's like, all right, I'm going to be here for a little while. I'm going to keep going back through from like side A to B, like all wow. the way through. I love Supreme. And then if it's more creative kind of style, I'm usually going into some Dilla tapes in some way, shape, or form and just going through, okay. This is going to be on in the background, depending on what the cadence in the tempo is. I'm going to start to knock out some work in that in that space. Dylan is a genius, and you have great taste in music. I try. Oh, his taste in music is dope. It's all over the place. Yeah. When when I, feel I go like to good tunes all over the room. Go ahead. Go all of you do. Yeah. <laughs> when I when I go to write, it depends on what I'm writing because for me, like different music music puts me in different spaces for emotion, and I have like really focused on tapping into those emotions. So. Um, I started talking to a lot of actors about where they get to the right space to act because I didn't know how to write. Like, I'm not a formally trained writer. I didn't go to school for writing. So I didn't know how to get some of the things out I was getting, and I was getting too many thoughts, and they were disorganized. So I was act- asking actors on how they focus themselves into being that person. And a lot of it is, like, just emptying yourself away, pushing yourself away, and allowing a new person to come in. So, like, when I was fighting, because fighting defined me a lot as a man, so when I was fighting, my biggest problem was I was afraid. I was just afraid of, um, I was a kid fighting adults. Like I was afraid. And music made me feel safe. So I would do that thing you did when you were a little kid and you had to go in the basement or somewhere dark. You would sing a song out loud. And that's why I started singing when I fought. And then it became comfortable. And then I started having fun. And then I would sing fun songs. But music has always brought me to different places and can change my mood. So I would always pick a song that would put me in the right mood to write whatever I needed to write. So it's very varied. But if I don't know what to write and I need to be inspired by something, then I put on, um, I put on, um, Isaac Hayes and Isaac Hayes by the time I get to Phoenix and that song one takes forever. By the time it starts, I know what I'm going to write. If I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's tough, man. I think I listen to a little bit of everything in the sense of I'm I'm very deeply rooted in soul R and B. So like I'm sure. talking like sixties to like I don't know, eighties maybe. Like that's that's where majority of my knowledge is music wise. Yeah. Um, but then I also really appreciate jazz. Like uh last what, on Friday or Saturday I went to Basquiat Bottle in, in Brooklyn. Mm. And um, it was like this women's performance art kind of thing. And shout out to, uh, man, I'm I'm messing up her name. I forgot. I think it was Michelle. I forget. But she went on this. She just killed it. Like she went from Aretha Franklin to jazz to like her own kind of She's music. She's a vocalist? She, she did vocals. She oh. had a soundboard. She okay. pulled out a flute. Like she, oh, wow. She did everything. Mm-hmm. And um, her point to it was that jazz was what people listened to back in the day. Like women used to twerk to jazz. Like mm-hmm. that, that was the music. So she was like, her, her tagline was make jazz trill again. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so to make sure that people really appreciate the live instrumentation behind it. And um, I went to London. I went to uh, 
I went to Ronnie Scott, Lonnie Scott's, Ronnie Scott's something, and there was a jazz club, and uh, there was a xylophone there. And for some reason, like, I just never put two and two together, like, yo, a xylophone is a jazz instrument. Like, I remember seeing it as a kid and seeing it around, but then I thought about it when I saw it and heard it and seen it live. Like, yo, that is so important in jazz. And I think about Nas and Elmatic and One Love, mm. and how that shit come on, and you hear that xylophone playing. I was yeah. like, yo, that all make sense like we need jazz to be the forefront of hip-hop and we talk for days but i feel like the reason that young hip-hop doesn't sound great or appealing to us is because they sound like they only listen to hip-hop like they've only listened to drake and the contemporaries now and never got into the marvin Gaye, the isaac hayes the ojs like they never got into that type of music and that's why it sounds different you know yeah so um you have to check out my girl Brandy Younger. She's a young black harpist. And I'm just thinking about the intersection between jazz and hip hop. And she's played on like a common album, I believe it is. And like mm-hmm. a few years ago, she did something with Drake, but you can hear her strings on the back of like several hip hop songs. But she's an ultimate beast. And like before I forget to tell you, you got to check her out. That's Definitely. Mm-hmm. Like a harp. Like where are you yeah. learning to crazy. play that? with It's crazy. Yeah. Yo, I think I, to speaking on what you were talking about, like, so Nas is one mic, right? Yeah. When one mic comes to that crescendo and it, everything builds up to it and you get mm. to that point, mm-hmm. speaking about, Raj, what you were speaking about with the jazz crescendo and the chaos, you get to that chaotic point. He builds you up with the lyrics. He drops that on you and then comes right back to the beginning. Yeah. You don't That's get, real music right there. The, the new hip hop isn't giving me that. No. Never. You know what I mean? I'm not getting that, like, that emotional build, that drop. Everything's pretty steady and it's mellow and it, it's... Not to say that it's not good enough, but it's not what I need. I think it's made with you know a different uh, reason for ingestion. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Yeah. It's not what I need. I'm not saying yeah. it's not good. It's not what I need. It's um. So one, you're talking about the musicality of it, and yeah. it's hard to give somebody musicality if they've never actually played an instrument, which is going to be a really difficult thing mm-hmm, to understand. Mm-hmm. So in any of those spaces uh, that you see the nuance between understanding drama and understanding emotional effect and impact inside of a song, you're talking about very skilled people, or at least the producers behind that person were very skilled at the instrumentation. So you go back to a trombone shorty Mm. or somebody that can pull hip hop and the jazz idiom together really good in the contemporary space. That was also a shout out to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Some love over there. Mm -hmm. They can tell that story in a virtual so type of space and play. I've seen trombone shorty play like every instrument that he had on stage at different points in times. And he's a, his name, as his name would indicate, he plays the trombone, but he'll jump on the drums. He'll jump on the guitar. He'll do all the rest of that stuff. And because he understands how everybody else is playing, you could pull that song that might have been written for, okay, this is a sad song, but I'm going I'm to stretch it out and make it a happy song. I'm going to pull it all the way down and make it a turn up song. And then you get people twerking the Max Roach out there. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a different type of vibe. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to, if I can, bring it back to fitness a little bit because like, I can't stop thinking about this motif that the music that all of us are you know, favoring and talking about, there's this element of circuits to it. Um, and I I listen to... I listen to a lot of trap when I'm doing circuits and things like that, but also Nas and Jay-Z and people who have this, who have this like instrumental cadence of like building you up and bringing you back down. And to me, that's like a hit workout in itself. Um, And especially lately, like I haven't been um, 
particularly into circuits or HIIT workouts, but as of lately, I've been thinking about what I want from my body and how I want to connect that to my mental health. I have generalized anxiety disorder, as like most of the country does. So like I get very anxious sometimes, and I feel like what works for me is building up that energy during a workout, letting it out, doing whatever I need to do within that safe space with my weights and, you know, resistance bands and things like that. And when the music is just, you know what it's like. You all know what it's like when the music is literally flowing through you and you're pouring sweat and you're kind of crying because you didn't know you could live so much, but you kind of can. And you're like, this is going to hurt tomorrow. And all of it meets at this one point in the middle. And then it just melts away when you're done. And you're like, I just allowed myself to feel all the feelings and do everything I need to do in the safe space of the gym. That's the transcendence moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You go with that I mind mean, and literally overcome matter. We have a uh, lyrical exercise, which we always talk about, you know, and uh, I would be remiss if I did not bring up currency, the hot spitter. Oh my God. I love currency. See, tone is not really a currency not fan. A currency fan for and, and I respect him, but mm-hmm. for me, I've been a fan for, for so long and, to me, he's underrated because he just is. Like, he's just underground. Like, either fan or not. Pretty much how Tony is. And uh, since I've been listening, I feel like everything that you're talking about in a sense of that, that pick up and let off, like, Currency has been rapping forever. Yep. And that's his skill set. So he continues to rap and put out music and music and music. And that makes him better every time. Mm-hmm. So Currency in 2019 sounds way different than when he was signed to No Limit. Or when he was with, you know, Lil Wayne back in the day, like, um, it's completely different. So it's like, I love that New Orleans sound that he has mm-hmm. because I feel like he's so authentic because he's still there. Like, he, mm-hmm. he's not leaving. He don't want to go nowhere. Mm-hmm. And every time he raps, I feel like I live vicariously through his lyrics. Yep. You know, but he's also a hustler. He's also, like, grinding. He's You got to listen to his lyrics, Tone, man. His, he's, you know, he's his, playing games. It makes me feel like he doesn't want to leave. That's exactly what New Orleans? Yeah. Well, his delivery sounds like like a jazz horn. Like it's it's mm. like a it's like a lazy, slow, but full of. It's like so. But he dropping bars. Yeah. Though. He no mm-hmm. no no. He and he stuffs them into this lazy low draw. Like he puts all of these bars and all this complexity into this like just corner sounding like real relaxed, and then he's hitting you with all this, and it all comes back. And he he's a ill he's a ill lyricist. I. I I get why he's not followed as heavily because his his energy is very different. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But he also fits in. I mean, the the different artists he's worked with and the different like types of sounds he's given you from that same delivery is just why one of the reasons why he's so dope. Oh yeah, of course. Currency don't want to leave New Orleans. I have that no, on record. Of course not. <laughs> I just interviewed him, and if you guys want to check out the article, just Google Vice Munchies and Currency. Um, I just talked to him because he opened. He bought. This restaurant in New Orleans that got shut down and it it was a place he loved throughout his childhood and he just bought it. And we sat down and talked about like the perpetuation of black wealth and how we can, you know, make sure that happens in, in a city like New Orleans, which is, you know, a large percentage black American. Um, and I think about him, his own health and how he just had a son and he's really trying to think you said he's a hustler he's got all these cars and he told me like i wanted another rolls but i decided to buy the spot instead and he's like i'm thinking about my health and my family's health and our future and financial prosperity and stuff like that like you know we have to think about our money all of us and and what it's going to take in order to 
to sustain us. And it's not another role sometimes. Yeah. Now, see, I can love and respect that. You know, I might. And again, artistry is not supposed to be something that is ubiquitous. Right. It might not be the message that I'm supposed to connect with. But Mm -hmm. that side of it. Yeah. yeah, I could totally sit back and listen to I've listened to him do interviews with uh, everybody from Peter Rosenberg down. And I like what he's saying. Mm -hmm. The music just doesn't connect with me because, again, this Brooklyn bias is probably. That's fair. It's very different. It's very different (laughs) than New York. Definitely not Brooklyn. Yeah. 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 And that's what I'm saying. So I'm not saying it's bad. It ain't ain't for me. So I I respect that. But and I want to hear I'm definitely going to check out this Munchies interview. Mm. Um, Now, peep the cadence on it. I want to hear it. I want to hear how it came across. (laughs) Now, you mentioned something about generalized anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. And this past month, we've been appreciating women all throughout the coursework of what modern uh, modern presentations inside of the workspace or and just uh, pillars inside of what health and wellness is uh, in particular. And anxiety is something that I see keep coming around. Yeah. Um, particularly when we look at how closely it parallels with what's going on in the digital space. Sure. I don't think that those two things are completely absent of each other. Mm-hmm. Like the more we've connected, the more we understand about people, we have to find our spaces where we either can you know, okay, where is this crossing the threshold between becoming a service for me and a disservice? Yeah. So the conversation that I wanted to have with you, one, as an expert, is talking about what role does social media play just in how you navigate as a journalist and what it plays in wellness at large. And then second to that, do you think that there's any contributions from the social media aspect to what people is, are having as a, I'd say, a mass anxiety yeah. type of an issue. Now, thank you for calling me an expert. I, yeah. I, I'm only an expert in the way that I've read so, read and edited so much about this topic, about how social media and the digital age could go hand in hand with anxiety. Right. And this isn't, this is indisputable, right? Like researchers are telling us like, they really believe that the rise in access to social media and things like that have made us feel, and I use this term um, not disrespectfully, but crazier. Mm. Um, and that that is very much true. And just last night, you know how it is on Sunday night, you're like chilling on the couch or whatever. I was on like 20 different forms of social media. And I go on there to just like really be in everyone's business. I'm not even posting that much. Mm-hmm. Um, as a journalist, like I really want to know what's going on with everyone. I was reading all this Nipsey Hustle tribute, like, you know, the beef with Dr. Sebi, which we're not going to um, yeah. get into because we all have strong opinions. Um, but it, I want to know what's going on. But I have, you know, people who experience any kind of mental illness have this code, and I know people will feel me, where they, they say to someone, I'm not feeling good. I don't feel good. Right. And that that doesn't mean I have a cold. It means like the anxiety is creeping in. I I don't know. I'm starting to feel crazy. My body's starting to feel crazy. And I felt it coming on as I was reading all these different things. And many of them were super depressing. And I was like, I don't feel good. And the first thing you had to do is just detect when be honest with yourself. Like, when are you starting to feel off kilter and stop? Get off for a second. Give yourself a minute to breathe. Um Go do something else. I started watching The Princess and the Frog. Shout out to New Orleans. Like just something <laughs> animated and ama- just for a little bit, right? Even if it's your job to be on social media. Um, we, I think step one when it comes to like, we already know that social media and anxiety go hand in hand. The question is, can we be honest about what is too much for us? Like, we don't have to put on a brave face and be like, oh, it's fine. I don't really care about this stuff. Pay attention to what's making your, you know, my therapist will always be like, where do you feel that in your body? And it's such a silly, like, abstract question for someone who's not a psychologist. But, like, 
I can feel tension in my chest. I can feel it in my shoulders. Like, your body is telling you something. Pay attention. You know? Yeah. And when you talk about that, I love the idea of where do you feel it in your body? Because that ties a lot into the fight or flight response system, right? Mm-hmm. So you feel stress. Prehistoric you was thinking, I either am about to get eaten or I got to yep. go and eat something, yeah. right? There's a reason why you feel it in your chest and in your shoulders, right? Mm-hmm. When your body is telling you to increase your respiratory rate, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't breathe diaphragmatically and you start shrugging those shoulders, right? Yes. You start feeling that clenching or you're getting shorter in the breath mm-hmm. cycle, right? Okay, so you know a little something. Okay. A little bit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. All of those things are indicators as to I have to do something with this energy yeah. or it's just going to be here, Yes. right? And the problem with that disconnect is that I could be watching something in my hand that's giving me all of these signals Mm -hmm. that oh my god i gotta fight or flight in Mm -hmm. some way shape or form but then i never have that release Mm -hmm. so now what happens yeah right that energy gets transferred into something that it wasn't even directed towards yeah and it becomes problematic oh i see you yeah you know i got another analogy for you you want to hit him with the science you know (laughs) you ain't the only one out here you know what i mean why you feel mad about that (laughs) he's real mad at your science i ain't mad about your science let the black man feel his feelings oh you want to be all smart (laughs) but he about to get a weird thing (laughs) he about to get you a brooklyn lab coat (laughs) but okay pocket protector wearing them yeah i was like why you mad at me (laughs) science no it was no it was no shade um I, I equate the analogy of social media to chewing gum, mm-hmm. right? In the sense of like, when you chew gum, your body is salivating and is ready to digest something. It's ready to get prepared for food that never comes down, right? Mm-hmm. And that food never comes down. And eventually this acid is going to build up in your stomach. And if you do this every day, over and over, 10 times a day, 20 times a day, your stomach acid is going to start to eat itself and you're going to get an ulcer. And that's like... Something that's so negative that came from something you don't have to do. Like, mm-hmm. no one said, yo, go chew gum every day. It's like, no, fam, you don't have to chew gum. Brush your teeth. Like, mm-hmm. you don't got to chew gum. You don't have to get on social media, right? And I think a huge problem, especially is, yeah, I know you like that, tone. Listen, man, I'm like, you rock. I don't even want, I don't want no smoke from Kyle right now. Huge problem uh, is when you think about Facebook, right, and how it came about and how it was started to connect people, right? There were no stars on Facebook. There was nobody that'd be like, I want to follow this person because they got so many. No, you either knew them or you didn't or you heard about them. Now, when you get something like an Instagram and it comes and now you automatically assume if this person has a following, they're speaking some truth. They have some validity. Some validity. Ah, validity. Yeah, get that one out. You had the word, man. You had the word. <laughs> You, you got know, it. I mean, right yeah. breakfast this morning. Uh, but you just automatically assume that they are worth whatever this following is backing them. And that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And that's when all, everything is tossed around. Because everything you were trained to thought or know is now up for grabs. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, she looked kind of cute. You know, I, I'm going to see what she's saying. I'm going I'm to take some tips from her on fitness and hurt my back. And now mm-hmm. here we are. You know, so it, it, it all adds up, you know. Are you chewing gum in lieu of brushing your teeth? No, there are people that do that. They market some that chew do that. Gum and brush your teeth. No, and I I'm feel saying, like those things should not be. Fam, it, that's not a good there replacement. There was commercials about that whole thing. Like, hey, yeah, in between meals, chew this. Like, I'm the trying to views and opinions do expressed like by Corey Kyle Jones yeah. do not necessarily reflect those of off the strand. That's not me. I'm not a gum chewer. Hey, just, you know what I'm saying? Y'all leave him alone. Brush your teeth, y'all. Brush your teeth, please. <laughs> this is a general off rule. Off the strength, please. Yeah, off the strength, please keep your grill tight. Who's trying to make yeah. that work? Give me science. 
I don't know. I don't know where that went, but it went there. So I'm not even mad at it. We got what we needed to be. There we go. Brush your teeth. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. You know the PSA. <laughs> Kyle, new tattoo gonna be brush your teeth on his he ass. He gonna write brush your teeth exactly. on his ass. Then we can both have butt tattoos. Yeah, there we go. We Shout out to butt tattoos. All right, that escalated quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, Raj, I want to bring it back to you for a second. Could you talk to me about what are some of the practices that you either do in that detox space that you need from time to time? Uh, when you know when you, you talked about the signals that you know when it's time to step away, um, and you mentioned like watching t like watching something that's a little bit more down to earth, a little bit more like fun and relaxing. You give me a little bit more on the tips that you might use to get out of that funk, so to speak. Yes, yes, um, absolutely. <sighs> okay, so first of all, can I just say like I don't use the word detox and mm-hmm. hate it in a context that doesn't mean like drug detox. So I'm right, trying right, to like right, rid right. us all of that. Because okay. But I know exactly what you mean. So to kind of sh- move away from that space of anxiety, I definitely uh, think just uh, think about what brings you like relaxed joy. I tend to go back to my childhood and think about like we had a, we had some some of us had uh, less stress in our childhood. So mm. I, I like to think about what make makes me feel like a kid again. And to me, that means watching something animated, right? So like, what makes you feel like a kid or relaxed or free of some of the pressures that you feel today and see if you can do that if that's physically possible and accessible to you mm-hmm. um we talk about music whatever music don't listen to Tupac hit him up if that gets you riled <laughs> up like maybe something a little more relaxing and and for me it's like it's really Pixar and maybe just texting my mom and being like hey love you and sometimes we got some people in our lives where we don't have to explain why we just text and being like hey love you you yeah. know um but I want to hear from you guys what what do you do to when you get riled up to like chill out well, for me I um I'm hyper aware of the danger of getting riled up so i go above and beyond to make sure i don't let myself get to that space okay um i also i stopped for a while and then i went back to it and i realized that there was definitely a definitive difference is that for me like social media and a lot of aspects of television remove me from my mind Mm. like so my like my comfort like safe space like my good place Mm. is just like being in my own head so Mm. Um, meditation for me is literally like thinking and digesting my day and going back and looking at what I did and evaluating like how I acted. And, um, I have a lot of self-evaluation that I've built in. So I go back through how my, um, how my conversations were, how my interactions were and whether or not I did the thing that I felt like was the best thing. Cause I'm always trying my best to be a good man. And I try to go back and look and see how I interacted with people and whether or not that was the way I should have done it. And do I have to fix that relationship? Do I have to do something? So that's that's what I do. And when social media is involved, I do social media instead. You know, I'll pay attention to, like, what's what's going on in social media and what people are posting and what's being said instead of what I'm doing and what I should be doing. So I make a hard cutoff at certain times. I have an alarm that goes off on my watch and phone that tells me no social media after a certain hour. Mm-hmm. And then I don't even turn on my TV during weekdays. Um, I don't really get into it. Um, it, on occasion I watch a movie, but I don't like watch television shows and I don't pick up news during certain hours so that I can be in my own space. Mm. And that's how I keep myself grounded because I need that. That's dope. Uh, I think I'm going to take it back to just childhood movement. 
like you, like uh, movement is how you learn. If you think about yeah. like a baby, they they learn what to climb, what they can't climb, what they can poke, what they can't like. Mm-hmm. It all comes from movement. So social media is very much a still thing. Like you have to be at a computer, you have to be on your phone, you have to be on your laptop. You're not moving when you're doing it. So in order to find a relaxed state for me, I have to move. So whether that's working out, whether that's riding my bike, whether that's playing ball, when you're movement, when you're moving, you're thinking about that movement only. If I'm lifting, I'm thinking about what I'm lifting. If I'm running, I'm thinking about how far or fast or my breathing. If I'm playing ball, I'm only playing ball. I'm not like, oh damn, I wonder how many likes I got on that. Like that, that don't really matter to me. Yeah. So anytime I need to decompress, I I just have to move. That's it. Yeah, I feel like creativity is in that same space, too, mm-hmm. where for me, I could be completely honest with you. Everybody in this room knows that social media is the weakest part of my game. Mm-hmm. It just is. I could tell you all the other wins that I have, but social media is not it. Um, largely because I feel like if I get too fascinated with the stories that other people are telling, I'm not going to be able to tell the stories that I want to tell. That's deep. Um, that's And that's I have to be selective with my filter. So I'll put something up. And I'll try to be better because as a business owner, I need to play that game to some aspect. But it always is going to pull on my heart because there's something about it that that's not a medium that I understand enough to create art with. And I don't want to be in competition with that. So inside of that space, I don't follow people that are not immediately in my life that do similar things because I don't want to be tainted by their thoughts. I'm looking at people that are in different fields that are inspirational, and I'll swipe through that. But even then, it's just kind of like, all right, how much of that am I going to let into my space when I need to turn off those those microphones and be able to create? Yeah, you know? that makes sense. So that's, that's my escapism from it. Um, I want to push back against one thing that you said that yeah. you, you kind of had a little bit of hesitation at taking the, um, the expert title mm-hmm. a little bit. Now... In this digital age, more importantly than anything else, you hear a lot of opinions. Yeah. Those opinions are rarely informed. Oh, God. You just laid through so many different things that I'm looking, again, at a body of work that is very informed. So I'm going to challenge and say, no, nah, I'm going to stick mm. with my label as an expert inside that space. You guys have any issue with you better that? better go ahead and own that expert. Yeah. Definitely. Shout out to the expert real quick. Let's give it over to the expert. <laughs> Tell me you ain't no damn expert. Yeah. My head is going to be so big when I leave the studio. Okay Y'all going to have to all just push me out. The headphones yeah. are adjustable. You're good. Yeah. People, I mean, especially in a space where everybody thinks that they have equality of voice and equality of messaging, right? Yeah. And that's another thing that kind of is a little bit gray in this in this digital space, right? Just because you can say something doesn't mean that people need to be listening to Mm. you, especially when that opinion is ill-informed. And if somebody is an informed practitioner that has, I'd say, the ability to have agency over a wide array of areas, I'm going to take the time, celebrate that, call her expert when I see it. So how you you guys, Mm. again, you on my team. Shout out to the experts. Shout out to the experts that's actually doing it Incredibly generous. Incredibly generous. Well, one thing about expertise is there's always different ways to define how someone becomes an expert but the people who truly are one respect the fact that you have to earn that and usually the more the the higher level expertise the people who really know what they're talking about will initially argue with you that they're not an expert because they have so much respect for what they're doing or what we're talking about that they don't want to acknowledge that i'm the go-to person because i feel like i have so much more to learn that is one of the first signs of someone who 
can at least be qualified as that, can at least be in that conversation. If you start talking to me and you've been doing a thing for a while and you're like, yeah, I know what the ins and outs of this, that means you haven't even opened the door to how much you don't know. If you don't even understand how much you don't understand, you have mm. no chance of being an expert. Your first step is knowing that you don't know everything yeah. and that you're willing to learn it. And that's how you start to develop expertise. And then it's how long and how effective you've been over time at learning your craft and understanding that thing and seeking the pieces of information that you don't know to develop yourself further is how you become an expert. So you are a fucking expert. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I, I think it's really about the squad you keep around you too. And that's that's really important. I mean, everything I write, my my editor-in-chief has helped me really hone this, but like you have to get the best. If you want to know about a certain subject, you have to get the best of the best, right? This person that studied this for so many years. And again, that person's not going to call themselves an expert because they tend to have a humility about them because they have a respect for what they're doing. And like the people that do call themselves experts and I don't I'm not, you know, pointing at anyone in particular, but like influencers who are like, I am the king or queen of this thing. Um, that comes from defensiveness to me. Really? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. people being like, no, 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 it's me, 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 me. Like if you love a field as much as you're supposed to, you're not going to be like that. You're going to be reverent to it. You know? Yeah. Mock too. So, Raj, we have a very important way that we like to wrap up the show. Um, We like to try to arm our listeners with some key notes that they can take from what you said today and imply them directly to what they do in their day to day lives. So is there any information or any little tips and tricks that you can give to us off the strength to make that type of impact actionable today? What would that be? Ooh. Man, y'all are really hitting me with this, just the deep, the deeps, and expecting a lot from me. I'm, I'm all right. I'm rising to the challenge there right we now. Go. You already gave us a bunch I of think, stuff. I think just to just to jump back into what we've been talking about today, um, I think our generation and and younger folk are are more open about mental health than ever before. So my first thing that I really implore of everyone is to be honest about whatever you're going through. Um, I think hiding things in any aspect of your life is a huge source of pain and trouble, right? So just it, it the limit that you can be who you are and 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 try and love yourself for it, just like flaws and scratches and all. Um, and tell people if you're anxious or sad or depressed or whatever it is and and reach out to the community. And I think that's for me the most important thing that we talked about today. but also, um, this is something new that I'm really getting into, but like find out what makes your body feel good and and chase it. I, I've been working out or whatever, but I didn't really fall in love with fitness until this past year. Like mm. really didn't. Like Corey, I went to Corey's class at, like last year-ish and wasn't at this place yet where I really found what makes my body happy. Mm-hmm. And he, his class is a beast, no pun intended. And at one point, I was just like lying on the floor face down, I remember. And Corey was like, Raj. And I was like, Raj is not here right now. Leave a message. <laughs> like, I <laughs> could not. I, I did it, but I wasn't finding the joy in it. And I do find the joy in some of the things I learned in that class today because I, I'm, I'm understanding what to do more of and what to let go of. Mm-hmm. And my body's changing and my mind is changing. And exercise we know is so good for exa- anxiety and depression. But like find what you want to go do. Don't don't go to Soul Cycle if you don't like it. You know, shout out Soul Cycle, but like find out what you what makes your body. Ask your body like how do you feel right now? And 
and find that and love it and hold it. That's all. Find it, love it, hold it. Guys, what you feel on that? <laughs> yeah. I can, find, I can probably Finger find it. snaps on that. We're bringing it back in. Finger all right. snaps on that. Raj, can you tell the good people where they can find the most up-to-date version of what work you're doing, mm. how you're inspiring people, and how you're taking that expertise to the next level because we already said that you're doing it. So where where can we find you? Oh, that's very kind, very kind. Um, tonic.vice.com is the health and wellness portal. Um, we have some really good stuff. we got some strong writers who are writing amazing things. Uh, George Johnson, Susanna Weiss, like all these people um, have been writing about health, race, sex, drugs, all these things that, that – uh, are important to us in a way that we can access. So please, you know, read my stuff, read their stuff, um, and write and and be a part of the conversation. And I love all of you, folks. Like, listen, and subscribe. Please follow so you can contribute to the conversation as we most definitely will. This has been yet another amazing episode. You're welcome of Off the Strength. <laughs> I'm a trainer called Tony. Kr Jones underscore. You're a trainer, Corey. Peace and much love. Until next time, folks, we'll see you soon.